Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and as you well know by now, this is the show where we build an entire campaign for you from scratch, and you can use it to run for your group. I also provide the details on what my group does as they play through the material we've written, so you can see how one group handles it. And I somehow have a feeling mine isn't the only one who manages to blow up what we've written on a bi-weekly basis. Anyway, for those who might have just joined us, this season is all about the Fallout role-playing game. So if you don't already have a copy, head out to your local game or bookshop to get one, or you can order it in either physical or PDF form from the Modifius Entertainment website, modiphius.net. Now, before we get into this week's build, I first wanted to thank everyone who reached out about both of last week's episodes, especially the special episode about why my group got off track, at least in my opinion, and what I think might get them back on track. Come to find out, I was right in thinking I wasn't the only one with that issue, and I hope what I shared will help you get your group working towards the ultimate goal. And keep the questions coming. Okay, so before we get into building this week's show, we need to quickly recap what we built last week. We began with the group meeting with Victor. He told them that a very important storage facility for him had been robbed overnight and everyone inside was killed. He'd sent Bruno to check it out, but even though the robot's pretty smart, he couldn't figure out how or why or who. The group agreed, headed to the old Washington University, and found the building. They realized that someone broke in through the old garage door, but exited through the front door as it had been left unlocked. As they checked out the bodies, they immediately came to the conclusion that at least two were involved, a professional and a sadist, and that's due to the fact that while the kills were very professional, someone came in after that and decided to get, well, let's call it messy. They found a very obviously placed Garson Tactical Maker's Plate on the floor, several spent 10mm casings, and a scrap of black uniform of the style preferred by Garson. They realized, ultimately though, that as much as they wanted Garson to be involved, they're actually being set up. It's the 10mm casings that gave it away, since while Garson soldiers carry 10mm, they'd probably use something bigger to take down their targets. After wrapping up what they could inside, they made their way outside and encountered a synth courser. They dealt with it one way or the other and made their way back to Diamond Pass to meet with Victor and explain what they'd found. Victor agreed with their findings and reported that he'd been reaching out to many of his own connections to try to get answers. All he could come up with is a fellow by the name of Longsworth, who's been meeting with folks in Victor's line of work and spreading around a lot of caps. The twisted tap is where he operates from, so it was decided to head there to see what they could find. And Victor decided he was going to the tap, so a couple of the group dressed to act as his personal security, while the rest of the group set up what we'd call overwatch positions. We wrapped the build session with Victor and his escorts entering the building. As we begin this week's build, we'll split what we're doing into two groups, and we're going to be switching back and forth between them as the build goes along. So let's start with the Victor group. As they enter the Twisted Tap, there's a vibe in the air. The group has been here before, but not when there's much of a crowd. Tonight, the place is full. The vibe that's being thrown off is one of big-time players. In fact, as the characters look around the room, they see a few people they recognize as being big players in the business sector, for what that's worth at this point. They also recognize a few from some of the jobs they've pulled to this point. 
They also notice that the crowd tends to part as Victor goes to make his way through it. And from the reactions on the faces of those who move, they're either in awe of him or absolutely scared to death of him. And Victor seems to be in his element here. He's moving through the crowd like someone accustomed to owning the space he's in. And his head is up, his ever-confident look working those whom his body language doesn't seem to. The group makes its way towards a table in the corner where there are just enough seats for Victor and his entourage to sit down. Just as they do, a woman dressed in all black approaches them and in a flat, monotone tone tells them, Apologies, but you cannot sit here. This table is reserved. Victor turns to look at her and with a smile that is both warm and kind of a warning, begins to speak. But his eyes pick up the other woman in proximity. The group knows her as they've done a job or two, depending, for her. Sylvia is also dressed all in black, and the group quickly realizes that black is the theme for the staff tonight. She's got her raven-hued hair down long, and her face is also done up in pasty white makeup. She puts on her best smile as she speaks. That table is permanently reserved, Yukio, reserved for Victor. And since he is Victor, he and his people are more than welcome to sit. Yukio nods, apologizes quickly, scurries off. Sylvia asks what the group will be drinking, and since Victor will be picking up the tab, it's dealer's choice. Once the group has found itself alone again, Victor lays out the game plan. I have spent many an evening here over the years, is where many of us meet to do business. Technically, the twisted tap is considered to be neutral ground, so no killing. He heavily emphasizes the neutral ground and no killing parts, then continues. We will sit here, enjoy our drinks, engage in boring conversation, and see if Longsworth approaches us. We might be here for a while, so pace yourselves. Since that group is going to be getting bored to death, let's switch to the group keeping an eye on the place. The first thing that needs to be considered is how exactly that group is going to position themselves to do this. Obviously, you're going to want one or two people watching the front door, another person or two watching the back, and another on the side entrance where deliveries come in and where the group typically comes in and out of when they've done jobs. Now, I usually base my calculations on a five-person group, so here's how I think it would work best. Let's say safely that two of the members of the group went in with Victor. That leaves us with three, so that puts one group member on each of the entrances. Now, that'll change for a larger group, and I'll use my own as an example. I've got eight, but again, Victor's not going to want to take more than two or three. So we'll say that three accompany him. We would then have five outside. Two of those are the robots, so they'll each take an entrance with a third covering the other. That would leave us with two group members who could take up genuine overwatch positions on one or two of the rooftops overlooking the building, just in case. Or they could choose to do a soft patrol around the building, acting like they're doing anything else but patrolling. The choice, obviously, is up to you and your group, and they might come up with something different than we have, and with my group, I'm basically counting on it. Within minutes of Victor entering the building, they notice a group of super mutants surrounding someone. That individual, who turns out to be a ghoul, leaves his five mutants outside and enters the building. The mutants then spread out much like the group did, so there will be some uncomfortable moments as the group members try to decide how they want to play it. That being said, there will be nothing but smack talk from the mutants since they are very well aware of the ban on killing on the property. 
Oh, and for the record, if for some reason Barnabas O'Reilly is still alive in your game, this is his group. Otherwise, well, otherwise it's going to be the individual who's taken over his business, and we'll get further into that in a few moments. Now, they'll see several other groups do basically the same thing that they did with Victor, and it eventually turns into a hired gun used car lot out there, and everyone is acting tough and talking smack. The group will recognize Melanie Zombrowski when she arrives, provided they've worked for her at all. Otherwise, just pull out her description from the Lime job earlier and use that. She's very fond of men's suits, so come up with something appropriate and put her in it. One thing the group will note is that with all of these hired hands out here, it's going to be hard to see someone coming who might want to do harm. I mean, pretty much everybody out here wants to do it, but they're all holding their guns back for fear of getting into trouble. So everybody's at a bit of a disadvantage. If your group manages to put someone on Overwatch, they've got an advantage since none of the groups seems to have enough people to handle that extra bit. And if they do, they make it a point to not be on the same buildings. So with the outside group feeling frustrated and chomping at the bit, let's head back inside. There have been a number of individuals come up to the table to shake hands and speak with Victor for a moment. Melanie Zombrowski, a couple of gentlemen of Asian descent that he didn't introduce them to, and finally, either a ghoul or Barnabas O'Reilly, depending. If it's O'Reilly, the two exchange a few pleasantries, though they're really just insults sheathed in somewhat kind words. If it's the ghoul, Victor will be a bit taken back. The ghoul introduces himself as Jesse Arnott and notes that he has taken over the business O'Reilly once ran. He doesn't give much more away than that, but he also seems to be the only one they've seen to this point who doesn't talk trash to Victor. In fact, he makes it a point to say something to Victor about doing some business together at some point, because we should really wash away the bad blood and strengthen our holds on this city before others get strong enough to do the same thing. Now, Victor will give some sort of recognition to that note, but he won't comment one way or the other at this point. After that initial rush, things get quiet for a bit longer and the group gets another round of drinks, though Victor switches to purified water and strongly suggests the group do the same. We'll pause this group here and get back to the group outside. Now, the outside group is going to be very frustrated by this point, since they've probably been trash-talking with the others out here for quite some time, and when they haven't been doing that, they've seen a throng of wealthy-looking folks in black suits and dresses headed inside. Occasionally, they'll see someone wearing a deep, dark red, but it's almost always somebody in black, which makes the guy in the white suit stand out just that much more. He's about six foot three, looks to be in about the 250 pound range. He's a very tanned blonde man who moves with a confidence greater than anybody they've seen tonight, and that includes Victor. He wades through the line of folks waiting to get in, nods to the man on the door, and walks right in. What's really interesting about him is he doesn't have a support team with him, or at least not one anyone can see as he walks in. Let's go ahead and do perception plus luck for this check and put the difficulty at three. Why? Because we both know our respective groups aren't going to just let this slide. They're going to want to be sure there isn't somebody else out there. When they succeed, they will notice that about 50 feet or so, maybe even 100 feet further back than themselves, there are a number of individuals leaning against various buildings, trying to look conspicuously inconspicuous. Anyone on Overwatch will note that there are at least a dozen of them, and they have the building surrounded. 
though again, they're far enough back to not be in a threatening position. Those on the ground will also note that they're all dressed identically. Now I know my group. Somebody is going to want to be a wise guy and go check one of them out. If they choose to do this, they can get close to one of them and the conversation will be shortened to the point. The individual is doing what I was ordered to do. And if they're asked for more, they'll note that I could ask the same of you, but I think we both know what I'm doing. Now, if someone does this very thing, make another perception plus luck difficulty two. I ask for that because even though they're approaching one, they'll probably get a decent look at at least one other and they'll notice they look alike. Now, they can't get close enough to say how much alike, but at a bit of a distance, they're almost identical. For you and me, by the way, that's the case for all of them. And in case you haven't figured it out already, we'll get to it later. Let's leave the outside group confused for a bit and head back inside. The blonde's arrival is noticed pretty quickly by the group inside the tap. He makes his way slowly around the club, speaking with all of the people who've already spoken with Victor, as well as a few who didn't. After about a half hour's worth of glad handing, he makes his way to their table. From a distance, the outside group didn't get a full look at him, but the inside group certainly does. His tan is perfect, his facial hair shaved into a Tony Stark-like beard-goatee combination, and he's got a number of flashy rings on his fingers. He wears a white shirt with the white suit, and his blood-red tie is the only color he's got on his person other than the tan. He makes it a point to be in the center of the portion of the table that's nearest to him, and he'll try to keep an even number of group members to either side. That being said, his goal is to be even with Victor, so he'll position himself however he has to in order to do that. He extends his hand across the table and speaks with a slight southern drawl. Well now, you must be Victor. I've heard so many things about you from your associates here. Victor shakes his hand and responds, I would not believe everything you hear. For some, misinformation is not business. It is an addiction. Now, the group has never heard him speak like this. He's usually a bit more to the point. It's obvious that the victor they're dealing with here is in full-on business mode. The blonde chuckles. Name's Longsworth. I came into a few business opportunities here recently, and I've been looking for other opportunities to invest in, which is why I make it a point to be here whenever I hear you high rollers are coming in. May I join you for a moment? Victor thinks about it for an almost uncomfortable amount of time before finally nodding. Longsworth pulls a chair from another table, sits down, and tosses a large handful of caps onto the tray of the waitress who approaches. Another round of whatever they're drinking and a double bourbon for me, darling. He smiles and nods, but doesn't talk until the drinks arrive a few minutes later. Once the waitress walks away, he gets down to business. Now, Mr. Victor, I've heard that if someone is looking for business opportunities in the city, you are the man to speak with. Victor feigns surprise at the comment, but it's pretty obvious to the group, since they know him fairly well at this point, that he saw this coming. Mr. Longsworth, I do not know where you get your information from, but I can assure you that I am but a simple businessman trying to make a difference in the city. Saying that I am someone who you would need to speak with about business opportunities would be to give me more credit than I deserve. And for the record, Victor cracks a thin smile as he speaks, and it is way obvious the smile isn't intended to laugh away Longsworth's comments. Rather, it's intended to be more of a warning. 
So at this point, the group should be figuring out that Longsworth and Victor are doing that dance of feeling each other out. Of course, Longsworth gets the next shot. Well, sir, regardless of that, I believe I have something you could use, and I would be willing to work with you to arrange a deal for something I could use. Again, Longsworth isn't given much away, but neither is Victor. I do not know what you believe you would have that someone like myself could use, but if you are serious about wanting to do business with me, we should perhaps meet in a more private location. Longsworth agrees. But it needs to be a neutral location, so you and I need to agree on who that neutral party shall be. Now, I'm not going to continue with the back and forth here. You've got the idea, so run with it like you feel works best for your group. Sylvia is the one person that both men can agree on, and they request that a waitress ask her to join them. When she does, and they present the deal, she offers up the twisted tap for them in the morning, since none of her staff will be here, so it'll be empty and private. Both men will agree, shake hands, and Longsworth will get up, toss a few more caps on the table, and tell Victor to have another drink on me, sir. As he walks away, the group realizes he's heading for the door, and a few moments later, he's gone. Now, let's pause here again and move to the outside. The group outside picks up Longsworth immediately. He heads out the door, and they can track him as he heads east away from the tap, As he gets close to the nearest of his guard, they start to fall in line. The others start joining in within moments. After a few minutes, they're off in the dark and away. So let's go back inside. Victor finishes the drink Longsworth bought him, then motions for the group to get up so they can leave. He leaves some caps on the table as a tip, finds Sylvia to give her a hug, then moves with the group to exit. We'll combine the two groups again as the outside group will see when Victor exits and move to join him. As they walk back to the pass, he'll bring everybody up to speed on what went on inside and will request that they join him for the next day's meeting. If anybody from the outside group mentions the similarity thing, Victor will raise his eyebrows. Virtually identical, you say? That sounds like an earlier model of synth. Sometimes people would order a couple of dozen of them and want them to look the same so as to confuse others as to the total number that they actually had. He thinks for a moment before he speaks again. We need to be on our guard in the morning. If Longsworth does have synths, he is a dangerous person to be dealing with. After that, he stays quiet for the rest of the walk. Once back in the past, though, he parts ways with the group with a final thought. No suits tomorrow. I need you armored and armed. If we are walking into something, I refuse to go down without a fight. He bids the group adieu and leaves them to their own devices until morning. For the record, the meeting is at 10 a.m., and it's somewhere between 10 and 11 p.m. at this point, so the group does have time to do a few other things if they want. I wouldn't suggest a job or anything, and the shops are closed, so those aren't an option either. Now, normally I'd stop the build here, but I'd like to get a bit more in this week, and I'm sure you won't mind. Besides, at this point, we've still got time left in our half hour, so let me shut up and build some more. We'll fast forward to morning, and the group will meet up with Victor at the third base saloon. He's a bit pensive this morning, since he's not sure exactly what Longsworth has up his sleeve, and he'll readily admit he's not used to being in that spot. As they go to leave, he does something the group probably didn't expect. He straps a laser gun to his hip, tosses a few extra cells into his jacket pocket, and puts on a Pip-Boy. If the group inquires about any of this, he notes... We do not know what Longsworth has planned. I refuse to put myself into a position where I am not prepared for the worst. Insofar as the Pip-Boy, he'll just smile and say, If the need to call in the cavalry comes, I now have the ability to do so. 
They make the long walk back down to the Twisted Tap. And at a few minutes before 10, Sylvia is sitting out front in a lawn chair type seat, dressed in comfortable cargo pants and a t-shirt, sipping on some sort of cool drink. She nods to Victor. He's already inside. Been in there a few minutes. Victor will inquire about Longsworth being in there alone, to which she responds that he is. With that, Victor turns to the group. If he is in there alone, I must go in there alone. I trust that you will be within earshot and will enter if need be. While I am inside, check the perimeter for those synths you found last night. Locate, but do not engage unless engaged first. He smiles, turns, and enters the building. So we'll leave the meeting between Longsworth and Victor and focus on the group. The group will, I'm sure, be checking the perimeter constantly for the synths. They'll be rather shocked to not find them, and they can check all they want. I'd give them a case of the heebie-jeebies as they look, since they'll probably be checking around buildings on roofs and some alleyways. I'm also sure they'll be making sure to have one or two stick by the tap, just in case, so have some people seem really interested, but continue to walk along. After about a half an hour, Victor emerges from the tap. He looks a bit confused, but merely motions for the group to follow him. After a moment or two, he'll ask about the synths and will seem even more confused. And he'll note, I had fully expected this to be some sort of ambush or threat. Mr. Longsworth instead suggested that we combine our forces and work to eliminate Melanie Zombrowski. His thoughts are that we could go into partnership in the brewery 50-50, that we could split her various holdings around the city equally. He's still working through his confusion when the group is attacked. It's Garson tactical, and there are enough for two for each member of the group, and that includes Victor. Well, let's back up a hair. It looks like Garson tactical, and that's what we want the group to think. They're armored in the same gear Garson uses, and so we pull the gear from the Brotherhood of Steel Knight from page 383. However, these are actually synths, and those stats are on page 373. Tell you what, why don't I work up a character card for this and have Gabe post it on the website so you don't have to do all that work yourself. It's not going to be on today, but hopefully by the end of the weekend we'll have it up. Anyway, with the level difference between the group and the synths, it should go fairly fast. If the group is getting in over its head, Victor will press a button on the Pip-Boy and at the end of the next round, a half a dozen Mr. Gutsy robots show up and begin attacking the synths. Oh, I guess we're going to need stats for Victor too. I have already worked those up. Gabe has already put that up on the website because I thought ahead on that one. So it is available right now. Anyway, when the battle's done and the group does their thing, they realize when they pull the helmets off, what they think are humans, these are synths. No skin to cover and no attempt to make them look human. Victor's look at that point would kill. And I think this is a good point to stop the build for this week. Next week, we'll pick up right here and see what this synth attack means. In the meanwhile, check out our other fine podcast, Role Playing History. This week, we're covering the excellent D&D campaign setting, Ravenloft. Role Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or from our website, badgmproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials referenced on this show are the trademarked and copyrighted materials of Modifius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are used on this show for entertainment purposes only. If you're interested in this or any of their other fine games, check out their website, modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. 
Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. On Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube and Tumblr, it's Bad GM Productions. You can email us, badgmproductions at gmail.com. And online, the website is badgmproductions.net. Next week, we try to get to the bottom of what the synth attack on Victor and the group means, and it may not necessarily be what you think it is. But that's next week. Until then, I'm the bad GM, Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the game table.